Welcome to Common Sense Institute's Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Alexa Eastberg, and I am a research analyst with Common Sense Institute. As an analyst, I am proud to help provide fiscal analysis on proposed policy changes facing Colorado. Policy changes can often have broad and long-term ripple effects. We utilize dynamic economic models and other tools to simulate economic impact scenarios across Colorado's economy. I hope you enjoy this episode as we dig into the data. And now, here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright. I am the chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we're going to explore a crisis that is unfolding across far too many states, affordable housing. We'll take a deep dive into the facts on housing in both Colorado and Arizona. As some of our listeners might know, CSI now operates in Colorado and Arizona, which provides us with a unique opportunity to take a look at major issues facing Americans across two states and examine any similarities or differences. I'm now joined by CSI's senior economist, Dr. Stephen Byers, and the Director of Policy and Research for CSI Arizona, Glenn Farley. Glenn, Stephen, welcome back. It's good to have you here today. Thank you, Earl. It's good to see you again. And again, Glenn Farley, Director of Policy and Research here in Arizona. And I've been with the firm about three months now, and it's been an exciting and busy couple of months with, with housing prices, inflation, and other major economic topics working their way through nationally and here locally in the state. I've also understand you had quite of an impact down there with a lot of people interested in some of the reports and job reports you've uh, you've put out. Uh, so uh, congratulations on a good, fast start. Thank you for that. Hello, Earl. Uh, I'm Stephen Byers, and uh, I'm a fifth-generation Coloradoan, and I guess the thing that I'm most amazed at now is how much our population has grown and what the impact of that has had on housing affordability and the pro-growth and anti-growth lobbies. Yeah, I I am too. We've already had some anti-growth referendums and some local issues have already passed, as you know. Yes. Steve, let's begin with an overview of the current state of housing in Colorado and Arizona. Glenn, take a shot at it, would you please? Absolutely, Earl. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, housing in Arizona, and especially our Phoenix metro market, is particularly complicated. The only thing that's really clear is that both home prices and rents have risen rapidly over the past year and a half. Prices today are about 50% higher than they were during the prior peak, the 2006 period. Rents are up about the same uh, the same amount over the same time. The harder question to answer is why. It's true that both Phoenix uh, grew relatively quickly during the pandemic and that real-time measures of housing inventory are at record lows. However, the standard measures of housing uh, housing units per person aren't outside of historic norms, which sort of flies in the face of the standard story that we're hearing that housing was seriously overbuilt prior to the Great Recession and then seriously underbuilt prior to the current home price crisis that took off during the pandemic. Specifically, we saw that housing supply gradually dwindled in Arizona from about 2010 to about 2020, but price increases didn't seriously take off until closer to that 2020 date. What did occur at that time is roughly a 40% drop in average 30-year mortgage rates between 2018 and 2020. And even in 2018, average mortgage rates were already at record lows. So you had the cost of money used to finance housing purchases fall precipitously at the same time that people shifted from spending, you know, 40 plus hours a week in commercial space 
to spending most or all of that time in their residential space. So you had easy access to housing money coupled with an increase in demand for residential real estate space all occur at the same time. And I think this demand side story likely explains more than we think of what went on in prices in Arizona over the last 18 months. Now, I want to follow up, Glenn. Thanks. With Steve right now, uh, what best describes the the state of housing in Colorado? We just heard uh, Glenn talk about Arizona. Well, similar to Arizona, Colorado is an increasingly expensive place to live. Uh, Housing prices are surging. Just let me say that from April 2019 to April 2022, prices have gone up 50%. Now, along with what Glenn's describing in terms of the cost of financing a home, the uh, mortgage payments have gone up for the median mortgage payment has gone up 90 percent over that same three year period here in Colorado. What percent was that again? Ninety. My goodness. Yeah. And of course, that's a combination of the increase in prices, but now with mortgage rates. And I just looked today and they were at the average 30 year, I think, was at five point two nine. So the the cost of financing is a major component of this as well. Besides the demand side, we've found here in Colorado that it's a, there's definitely a supply side problem. And we uh, uh, did some estimation based on a study that was done in California and Oregon and found that we're approximately 195,000 units below in our supply. And that is uh, the level that would be needed to provide for a liquid and a normally operating mortgage market in terms of people being able to sell and buy homes in a reasonable period of time. Furthermore, recent history shows that new home construction is concentrated in single family homes, which is tends to be the least affordable option. So we're building exactly too much of the wrong kind of housing to meet the affordable housing problem. I want to follow up on some of this, but I want to lay the groundwork here a little bit better if I could. Glenn, that, can you give us a little bit more in depth with regards to um, what's going on to housing in Arizona? It seems that housing, you said it really took off in the last uh, uh, 24, 36 months. Um, just how expensive is it? Describe to me, if you would, uh, how you look at, at that particular question and how would you answer it? That's a great question. And the key there is, is how expensive is it? And unlike a lot of other markets for goods and services that we consume, the cost of housing alone doesn't tell the whole picture about how expensive it is to buy and own. Specifically, housing, you know, housing affordability is really a combination of the price of the asset and the cost of the financing. And in that sense, it's closer, I think, to the market for higher education in the United States than, than the market for other conventional goods and services in that higher education tuition sticker prices can be high, but government issued loans keep the cost of financing low. And so affordability and accessibility remains relatively high. I think that's really the story that you saw in the housing market historically over the last 40 years or so. Price gyrations tend to move inversely to to interest rates. Interest rates maintain accessibility even in the face of high prices. What's happened since 2010, though, is a sustained period of very, very low interest rates. Interest rates during the Great Recession fell to about 5% and stayed there, even trickling down somewhat between 2010 and 2018. Then you had between 2018 and 2020 very rapid further declines in interest rates. Over that period alone, just those 24 months, 2018 to 2020, going into the pandemic, in Typical 30-year housing interest rates fell 40%, which all else equal could support roughly a 30 to 40% increases in home prices with no net change in affordability. 
home prices over the same period nominally went up about 50%, um, but account for those declines in interest rates, and there really wasn't much change in net affordability. Fast forward to today, and you have the reverse. You have really rapidly increasing interest rates, and at least so far, no sign of relief on the price side. So to the extent that interest rates continue rising rapidly at these higher price levels, it's really going to rapidly price folks out of the market. And one way you can kind of think about this is something that we in Arizona call the home buyer misery index, which tries to normalize over time the sum of prices and financing costs. The long run average in that is normalized at 100 over the past 30 or so years. As of May, and Stephen alluded to this with the new 5.29% 30-year rates. As of May, that misery index is at 200. So housing is roughly twice as unaffordable as it has been over the, the um, average year over the past 30 to 40 years in the Phoenix market. I want to uh, just, if I could for a second, slow down and, and uh, look at, the, I, I'm a banker, okay? And as a banker, you know, we look at things from a rental perspective and a home ownership perspective and figure that that uh, about a third of your income can be used for uh, a mortgage. Glenn, I did some research uh, this morning and uh, your mortgage, uh, your median house uh, sold, at least according to information I had, was $348,000 in uh, Phoenix in 2021. And a mortgage at 3% was like $14,000. That same house in 2022 is, with the increase you had, is $475,000. And that mortgage payment for the year is $25,428. A 60% increase on a house going up 27% in value. 60%, guys. That means that if you have the three to one ratio that somebody has to be able to have salary over what you pay in a mortgage, your salary from 2021, you could buy the median house of the $42,000 salary. In 2022 in Phoenix, Glenn, you have to make $76,000 to have the same three to one coverage. Glenn, my friend, what in the world is behind this housing cost where so many people are now that used to be able to buy a house in the middle to lower income arena aren't going to be able to afford it. What's going on? Well, you're absolutely right, Earl. And, and you did a great job incorporating both sides of the equation, both the nominal price of the house and the cost of the financing, which is the complete package that decides how much someone can afford. And the short answer to your question is, is they can't. And that's part of the problem here. We've had such volatility over a really rapid period of time. And, you know, on, on a historical basis, 2018 to 2020 and 2020 to 2022, it's it's barely a blink right over the, the 40 or 50 plus year history of modern housing in the United States. This is barely a blink. But you had this rapid increase in prices driven and supported by a rapid decline in mortgage rates between 2018 and 2020, continuing, frankly, into 2021 and 2022. Now you're having the reverse. You're having rapidly rising mortgage rates. Now we can track the mortgage rates more or less in real time. What we can't track more or less in real time is home prices. So does this mean home prices are going to decline rapidly or with some kind of lag, potentially, to restore that affordability balance? Like I say, when you look back over the past 30 or 40 years, it's remarkably stable. 
when mortgage rates fall, prices rise. When mortgage rates rise, prices fall. Um, that relationship is out of whack and has been out of whack since 2020, since the pandemic. Will it come back into whack to restore affordability? Possibly. You know, it's it's uh, it's uh, forecasting the future isn't easy. I don't think anyone saw these increases coming and no one saw the last decreases coming either, really. Well, I, I hear you, but I'm uncomfortable with your answer. So I'm going to go to Steve okay. and I'm going to say, Steve, um, help us out a little bit. Uh, if you would kind of take us through what's going on with regards to the housing situation in Colorado. And you know where I'm going to go with my question as you explain it. So please go ahead. Well, much like in Arizona, prices have gone up dramatically. Uh, in, over the last three years, I mentioned they've gone up. The average house price has gone from $530,000 roughly to $794,000. So about a 50% increase. If you were to buy this $529,000 dollar house in May of 2019 at the prevailing interest rates then your mortgage payment would have been $2,300. Today that same house would be at $794,000. Your mortgage payment would be $4,206. That's assuming no down payment uh, so you'd be financing the whole thing. That's a 95.1% increase. But the other problem here in Colorado besides the price of the houses and the financing of them is that even if you have the wherewithal to buy a house, there's just not a lot for sale. And so it's a housing supply issue here as well. Well, I've run the same numbers again, Steve, and with the 20% down payment and house, median housing prices, uh, mortgages at 3% in 2021, a 30-year mortgage, and 5.25 in 2022. And uh, the W-2 income to buy a median house in 2021 was, for Colorado, 59000 interestingly enough, versus 43000 in Arizona. I, that was surprised me, Glenn. But in 2022, with the 18% increase off that median price and close to what you had, uh, 18% increase, you know, the income you'd have to earn is $91,000. Well, I can tell you right now, the median income in Colorado is not $91,000. So this just kind of shocks me. And it goes back to your point. There were a hundred and some odd thousand, I believe you said that, houses short in Colorado. Is that right, Steve? Uh, almost 200,000. Almost 200,000 short. So we've got a significant demand. I guess my question is we have a need, but is the need matching up with the median home price? Or are we kidding ourselves that uh, maybe we've got a mix of houses in Colorado that that just doesn't match up with where the need is and how the need's materializing? Well, uh, exactly. You're, you're headed down the right path with your narrative here. And we did a study recently uh, based on property tax records to look at uh, how the Colorado's housing stock has evolved since 1990. Since 1990, the total housing stock or housing units has gone up by 632,000. Single family residences, meanwhile, had increased 77%, whereas residential duplexes and triplexes had gone down by 22%. So there have been some conversions or they tore down triplexes and so forth and repurposed them for single family. 
And uh, resident, now residential condominiums did go up by about 57%. So, but overall, what you see is in the least affordable category of housing, that's where we built the most. And in the most affordable, such as manufacturing uh, housing, they declined by about 4%. So um, we're building the wrong type of housing. Well, I'm not going to let you off the hook there. That's, tell me why. What's going on? That uh, we're not building the affordable housing we need when we have the huge demand that you've already pointed out. Well, I would think that part of the issue has to do with uh, not in my backyard. I don't want high-density housing around me. And secondly, that there needs to be some work done on zoning to ensure that more more allocation of space is made available for high-density housing. So I think that's the real policy issue there, I believe. Well, you know, one of the things that, that um, my world looks at is what are investors doing? And I was astonished, uh, Glenn and Steve, mm -hmm. Glenn, I'd like to have you talk about Phoenix and then Steve about Colorado. When the fourth quarter of uh, 2021, uh, investors bought 18.4% of all the new houses that yeah. were built. In yeah. fact, I heard recently uh, in an interview that some large housing developments are being just created. The affordable housing units are just being created for investors to buy instead of homeowners to come into it. That's, you know, that's practically one out of five in 2021. In the fourth quarter of 2020, it was like one out of six or seven. So it's increasing. What say you about Phoenix and what's going on there? Um, you're right, really, about two stylized facts that are often um, cited in trying to explain what's going on with home prices. First is that the proportion of homes that are being purchased by investors is up. And second, the proportion of homes that are being purchased with cash is up, um, and both are typically argued as a sign that you have sort of speculation and um, um, these sort of villainous outside influences in the market that are keeping the the wholesome single family from from being able to access the housing. But I really think this is kind of misplaced, right? Because housing is housing, whether an investor purchases it purchases it or an owner purchases it, intending to occupy it. Presumably, the investor purchases it intending to rent it out and rents are up as well. And, and folks need access, like Stephen said, to all kinds of housing, whether they need rental housing and live in an investor-owned property or whether they want a single family home and purchase it that way. The key is that we get more housing online. So I think any housing is good housing, regardless of the nature of its ownership. That said, certainly if there's investor interest, it should tell us that prices maybe aren't widely out of whack after all, right? If prices were too high, presumably the investors wouldn't be interested in purchasing the, the um, housing at current prices. I'm not going to let you off the hook, Glenn. Uh, I hear that in Phoenix, your apartment rates have gone up rather significantly. In fact, I just uh, heard one individual talk about his professional staff had been living in apartments at $1,500 a month, actually $1,000 a month, and it was increased to $1,500 a month and then to 2000 And again, doing simple math and that, that one-third ratio, you're talking about somebody that could afford a $36,000 salary living in a $1,000 a month apartment. And now all of a sudden that goes to 2000 which over the last 24 months many apartments down there have. They have to double their salary to, in essence, afford to live in apartments in uh, and Phoenix, that doesn't sound like a very healthy environment. 
No, you're absolutely right. And and this is um, this is key to the story of of housing. Prices are up, but rents are up as well, and inflation generally is up. So so you know there's no immediate relief. One can't substitute buying a house for renting a house and expect to save a lot of money. But at the same time, that's also not surprising, right? The goods tend to be substitutes. If if you can't find a house to buy, you'll substitute for rental house and, and vice versa. So it's not surprising that the prices are moving in, in some kind of shared relationship, but that also doesn't offer a lot of relief for folks either. Well, it certainly doesn't offer much relief for me as an employer. Okay, uh, Steve, you know where Stephen, you know where I'm going. I've got the same issues with regards to uh, Colorado. You've got the investor bought housing here uh, that we're experiencing. What say you about uh, the investor housing and how that might be impacting a state that's 200,000 units short, approximately 200,000 units short? It's got to be impacting pricing and particularly, I would think, uh, individuals in the bottom two quintiles. Well, it is. And I'll share a personal uh, story that happened to me here just last fall. Uh, late in the fall, I had a home in a highly uh, popular place, uh, Washington Park here in Denver, and uh, I had some tenants in there, got them out, and I let it be known that I was going to sell the house. And in 14 days, I had closed on a cash offer from a hedge fund or an investor that was buying these up, and they paid me exactly what I was asking, but they're tearing that house down and it was about one and a half million and and they said they're going to put up a house in the three and a half to five million dollar range. So (laughs) uh, these investors chasing uh, ample returns are, you know, not focusing on building affordable housing necessarily. And so that's just exacerbating the problem. And like Glenn said too, is that rents here since at least since 2015 are up almost 40%. So you've got the same problem in rent. So people can't, uh, it's not an either or choice anymore. They're getting uh, squeezed both if they want to buy and if they want to rent. Well, I read this morning that uh, Arizona, Glenn, is one of the states that has one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country. And uh, I think one of the five states has one of the lowest in the country. Colorado isn't one of those states, but yet we're having a very difficult time finding people in Colorado for employment. And let's talk about Arizona for a second. If you have housing and rental prices continuing to go up, like we just described, how is the employer going to find staff to grow their businesses? Or are we going to find ourselves the housing causing our businesses to stagnate and speak specifically to uh, to Arizona? And I'm going to have the same question for you, Steve, uh, for Colorado. Glenn, please go ahead. Well, Earl, like I said, uh, forecasting is a difficult game, and I hate to make a specific forecast because it's easy to be proved wrong. That said, uh, well, we wrong. you might be in the, you might be generally correct. So t- go ahead and try. We'll do our best. But, you, you know, realistically, my humble opinion is the answer is they can't. Right. You can't have to the extent that that what I think pushed up the prices uh, over the last 24 months is true. Namely, it was the low interest rates and access to easy money. And that's going away then you're not going to be able to have the same kind of price activity that you had. Now, does that mean prices are going down? That's a different question, right? But I think for the rapid price increases are behind us. And I, I frankly, like I said, you know, this is lagging data. We're not going to get good data on whether prices are, are normalizing or slowing down. 
uh, for a couple of months. But anecdotally, based on the news stories that I'm reading and people that you talk to in this industry, they're already talking about homes sitting on the market longer in Phoenix, buyers accepting below um, below listing price offers, whereas historically they were just not doing that over the last 12 months or so. Um, so you're already kind of seeing these anecdotes trickle in that are suggesting that prices are the price increases have slowed maybe even stalled and stopped altogether, at least in the Phoenix market. But the answer is you can't. I mean, I mean, you gave the numbers. I won't repeat them here. But but the fact is that in just a span of three or four months, you've had the interest rates go up 50 percent. And the current course, given given the posture to try and battle inflation, is that those rates are going to continue rising over the next couple of months. And that is going to change the affordability picture dramatically. You can't sustain both 40 percent price increases and 40% mortgage rate increases for a combined doubling in home prices in a quarter. I mean, it just, uh, sorry, not home prices, but doubling of effective home prices, if you will, um, in just a quarter. That's just not a sustainable. Well, the cost, the cost, the per, the per capita cost is what you're talking uh, about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Stephen, Colorado, I'm here in Colorado trying to grow a business. It's brutal trying to get uh, staff, in fact, Recruiting people from out of state used to be the answer. Not today. They come in, look at the housing costs, and now you're telling me, and I'm repeating for the third time, we're 200,000 units short. Um, Glenn's trying to talk to me about possibility of uh, housing prices uh, flattening, maybe going down. Uh, do you see that the answer here, that all of a sudden we'll be stagnated in, as far as prices and Wages will catch up with it, and so all of us are going to have to pay higher wages so we can have have the staff we want. What what do you see happening? One thing I did see recently was that uh, mortgage originations have uh, dropped off precipitously here in Colorado, and uh, that's probably because of unaffordability, but also because of the lack of supply of housing to buy. And I think as mortgage rates go up, you're going to see those originations drop off even more because uh, I don't think it's going to be like it was after the Great Recession that you see this or before the Great Recession where we had this prevalence of teaser rates on adjustable rate mortgages and stuff that helped people to still be able to get into houses. So I, I think you're going to see the demand for housing drop off drastically. This also manifested itself uh, in a recent publication. I think it was U.S. News or World Report or one similar publication came out and said Colorado had dropped from in the top five places to live, particularly Denver, down to 44th. And uh, one of the things cited was the cost of living here. So that's going to make it harder to attract talent. And I would guess that companies that can set up operations or move operations to places that uh, have more affordable choices for their potential employers are going to start to do better. They're going to be able to attract that talent. Well, that's a very sobering comment, and I must say that is something that uh, we find ourselves having a conversation about here: is where do you, where could you grow the grow the company and get the quality staff you wanted, without uh, uh, blowing your budget apart as far as salary goes. All right, both of you, I want to summarize if you could for me. Now, remember, Glenn, I understand you can't be a perfect predictor. All right. But I'm going to ask you be, to be the omniscient dictator as to what you would like to see done with the housing market going forward to, to solve the problems in Arizona of pricing as well as demand and supply. 
Great, great question, and uh, and I think uh, difficult question to answer in any kind of brief, rapid way. But I will say, broadly speaking, what state and local policymakers ought to consider is the possibility that there's been a permanent change in demand for housing by consumers, both in the, the amount of housing that consumers want and the type of housing. Stephen alluded to this as well, the kind of decline in the construction of manufactured housing, duplexes, triplexes, increases in single family. Maybe it's just a story of simple consumer preference. Consumers want, I think, single family houses, generally speaking, they want those single family houses to be located in nice areas, to have relatively short commutes, et cetera, et cetera. So, State and local policymakers should support the construction of the type of housing people want where they want it. This is true regardless of whether we underbuilt or overbuilt or whatever you believe about the past. This is what they can do in the short run. The other thing we have to be realistic about is that rates aren't going to go down anytime soon. The Federal Reserve and national policymakers need to get inflation under control. Their primary instrument for doing that is going to be higher interest rates in the near future. And so those rates are probably going to continue rising and stay relatively high, at least for the next couple of months. So consumers have to be sanguine and realistic that the period of two and a half, three percent interest rates that we've grown used to, 30 year mortgage rates, is behind us now. We're back to a more historical normal market of five to eight percent 30 year mortgage rates. And prices need to adjust to account for that fact. And that's going to require again either prices to come down or at least to stop increasing for a little bit so that real inflation adjusted prices have a chance to catch up. Are you arguing for more cluster homes and more condominiums? Uh, it's an interesting question, right? Because because I just got done saying that, that uh, folks want to live in these single family homes, but a standard argument or a standard solution proposed is build more condominiums. Um, I think the answer is let the market decide. I don't know and no policymaker, no no member of, uh, in my humble opinion, no member of a zoning board on, a, at some city level or some member of a city council or, or even a state legislator knows what housing belongs where. The market knows the answer. So the best answer to your question is let the market decide. Get the rules and the regulations out of the way. And if the market thinks that high-density housing is the best solution on plot A, and a single family home on plot B, that's what will get built. What happens is when policymakers intervene in that with restrictions and requirements and mandates, then we get distortions that prevent the right housing from going up in the right places. Kind of a copy, but that's my answer. Steve, I'm not going to allow you to repeat what Glenn said. Colorado is different than Arizona. So we're 200,000 short here. The state as Arizona is growing rapidly. And you have a, a huge amount of small businesses here, not a very, you know, a very service-oriented economy. What do you see the answer being here as the omniscient dictator deciding what to do? If the population growth in Colorado were to abate, uh, this would ease this pressure. However, I forecasts are for the population to continue to grow at uh, maybe a little lower rate than it has been. And so if we were just going to try and equilibrate demand and supply, building more houses and we were going to accomplish this over the next five years, we estimate we'd have to build approximately 68,000 houses a year. And uh, the permitting data shows that we're well below that uh, increase. The market needs to be the uh, to solve this problem and be the answer, not policymakers. Uh, for instance, uh, we did we just fended off a, uh, a new law here in Colorado that was going to impose rent controls on 
private sector mobile home parks on what they could charge their tenants. And they were going to have it that you could have an increase of no more than 3% a year. Well, we know that from many, many years of research that rent control is, uh, is not a solution to a housing problem. And I'm afraid if uh, we don't let the market solve this problem that we're going to see policymakers come up with more irresponsible policy solutions, I believe. Okay. Well, gentlemen, I thank you, I thank you for your time. Uh, any final words for our listeners today? Well, I think Stephen hit it out of the park with that with that last comment. It's really, you know, shocking to me that in 2020 in the United States, fortunately not in Arizona, but elsewhere, I'm hearing about rent control again. It's like the 1970s all over again. And I used to joke in school when I was studying economics, there's no way, you know, we the lessons were learned. There's no way that policymakers could make the mistakes that we made during the 1970s. Uh, but yet, sure enough, here we are. And I think this stems from simple elementary mistake where people forget housing is a stock, not a flow. It doesn't matter if the new units are expensive or cheap. People move into new units. They vacate existing. Those existing units can be your affordable housing. So, so these kinds of mandates are just going to have the effect of reducing the amount of housing that's being built, which is counterproductive. All right, Stephen. Closing comments. <laughs> well, I can't add much to what I think Glenn summarized it best, but I would say here in Colorado is go forth and build, but do it smartly. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time today, gentlemen. I hope that uh, those of us, th those of you that joined us today, will listen to future episodes. And uh, Glenn, Stephen, thank you so much for all the work you're doing in uh, making us even more enlightened uh, on the economic issues in each of our state and the housing situation. Thank you. Thank you, Earl. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.